It is Sunday, November 8th, 2020, and you are listening to the Federalist Forum, a constitutional think tank for every patriotic American. Today at the Federalist Forum, I will elaborate on the four scenarios we now face as a nation. That and more coming up next on the Federalist Forum. Good morning. Welcome to the Federalist Forum. I'm your host, Tom. Thank you for tuning into the podcast that's become a popular resource for conservative truth and action. The podcast that stands proudly with red, white, and blue Americans who refuse to surrender to the filth of liberalism. While many of us are now enduring day five of the electoral hangover, we cannot afford to get stuck there. One of the great principles that has seen our nation through countless adversities throughout history is the collective perseverance of its patriots. And we have much to be grateful for this morning. In addition to simply waking up to a new day, to the sunshine, to fresh air, to our families, our friends, right now, Donald Trump is absolutely still our president. That is fact, regardless of what may or may not happen in the weeks or months ahead. We still control the Senate. We have a Supreme Court that is of majority conservative value set. We have many federal courts that are now the same because of Donald Trump and the U.S. Senate. In my last show, I alluded to something that if we can anchor to it, if we can moor ourselves down to it, we will find a more coherent perspective right now. And that is that regardless of wherever whatever happens with this election, Donald Trump would be gone after 2024 no matter what. It's a day that would have its eventuality sooner or later. Now that's a hard truth we need to reason with. But it's no less true whether we like it or not. Yes, it's too soon right now, and it's too soon to speculate that we'll even still be this cycle with certainty, considering the recounts and court challenges. You know, we, we don't want to believe that right now, and we don't have to. He's still our president right now. But there is an eventuality that's going to come. Whether it's in two months or in four years, he won't be there anymore. And we need to have uh, a way about us that accepts that. Uh, conservative control of the courts is something that may outlive many of us. That is so important and crucial. And to maintain that, the Senate is equally as important. The Democrats cannot restructure the courts or our system of government without the Senate. They can do even less if we take back majority in the House of Representatives. And we were successful in flipping some seats back to the GOP this cycle. We need to be remain focused on that for the House and Senate in 2022. Hey, what I want to talk about a bit today in depth is what I see as the four possible scenarios at this point, and then what happens beyond that. Now, first, and of course the favored one, is that the court challenges prevail and all voter fraud is discovered, and that it's substantial enough to flip a few key states, shifting the electoral vote. The second is a possibility of a recount. Now, this has never been done with a presidential election. However, there are constitutional scholars that argue the possibility of it. There are also some that argue that it's not possible, like anything legal. This would not be done on a national level, though. It would be done at a state level, most likely in a state or states where the results were close enough and there is found to be a substantial enough amount of fraud to call into question the true measure of the voters. The third possible scenario is that nothing happens. Biden has declared victory and Trump refuses to concede. And technically, he would not need to concede from any place of avoiding contention until the day that Biden would be inaugurated. But even then, he does not need to concede. 
The outcome of that would be a first for our country, and inevitably the flashpoint to a hot revolution, if not sooner than that. Uh, the last scenario is that the legal processes and electoral processes work through their constitutional structure, the electoral vote does not significantly shift, and Joe Biden is elected 46th president of the United States. None of us wants that. Um, there are a lot of variables that play into all of the scenarios I mentioned, but they each have their own measure of likelihood. And I think it is responsible to suggest their likelihood so that we can collectively move forward with preparation and action to whatever our next steps are going to be. I think the least likely thing to happen is the scenario of Trump refusing to concede even upon a new inauguration day. I think Trump is conscientious of America, of the American people. He loves us enough that in order that he not bring permanent damage to the likely future of the Senate, and not to mention the possibility of seeing himself as solely responsible for the deaths of many, so many Americans, I don't think Trump will allow that to happen. Like it or not, that is not, I mean, it's not the, it's the most rational perspective and it's the, the least likely scenario. So I, I don't think we're going to end up in a situation where somebody is physically pulling Donald Trump out of office. That's the least likely scenario to happen. Uh, right up from that one would be the likelihood of a special election, or a redo of the election, if you prefer, in specific states. As I mentioned, it's never been done with a presidential election, and only once in history with a Senate election in one state. The amount of tangible fraud would need to be, I mean, just substantial, and it, not just speculative or hearsay. It would need to be tangible, it would need to be provable enough beyond a reasonable doubt to establish the probable, probable cause for a special election in a particular state or states. A more likely scenario is that through recounts and court challenges, the states that have demonstrated problems and illegitimacy with the vote count, their obstruction of poll watchers or software glitches, that there is enough for the courts to determine a number of votes that is significant enough to flip the electorate. Now, we need to understand that the complexity of that scenario, however, and the fact of it is, is truly a hope and a prayer. It's, it's a long shot, uh, but it is a possibility. The most likely scenario is that on December 14th, after court challenges and recounts have worked their through th way through the system, the 538 electors will cast their votes and Joe Biden will receive an amount of votes equal to or greater than 270 and will be at that point officially nominated as president-elect. Right now, it's media announcing him that. It's not an electorate announcing him that. Now, I understand that none of us wants that. None of us likes it. It's maddening, it's maddening, it's nauseating, and it will create some real short-term problems for this country. But the key in what I said is ju just said is short-term. The other two branches of government, the judiciary and the legislature with its two houses, have co-equal powers. And without them entirely aligning with a Joe Biden presidency, he will be kneecapped with how far he can go. If we can take the House back in just two years... He will be hindered even more, and we need to. And I am all for obstructing this president. Should he become president, I am all for obstructing him for four years. I, I, it may seem childish, it may seem vengeful, but to a point that it does not sacrifice uh, the American people to an extent so horrible that we're desolate, I am all for obstructing every single irrational and radical policy. Uh, we need to learn from what we did right and what we could have done better, perhaps, in this past election. To that point, I want to say, first and foremost, 
thank you to each and every one of you who has gone out there and attended rallies, registered new conservative voters, attended demonstrations, flown the flag with pride. I love you all so much. And from a veteran, let me say to you, thank you for your service during this very contentious election. You are all rock stars, true patriots, and should be very proud of yourselves and the examples you've set for the rest of America and more importantly, your children. This is what we got right. And it's not to be understated. For years, the left has out-organized us. We had done terribly there. We have come such a long way in the past few months. And we need to build on that spirit now as we go into the 2022 midterms. I'm just, I'm so damn proud of all of you for that. And I thank you truly for that. It is truly a blessing for us. I'm amazed at the collective spirit. And we got out there and we did what the left has beaten us at for so long. You know, we can also be thankful that we stood up to tech tyrants and places like Parler were born from the toxic liberal censorship on other platforms. We showed that we can speak freely and more and more people are coming to the Parler community for productive and substantial conversation that John Mates has provided. And we should be very grateful and very thankful for him and what he's provided for all of us. You know, we finally started to confront these liberal bullies in the streets. And sadly, two patriots were murdered by the liberal scumbags but they paid that price for freedom and should remain enshrined in our hearts forever for their bravery. Of course, I'm talking about Aaron J. Danielson, who was murdered by that coward in Portland, who was then justly shredded by a hail of bullets from law enforcement. And I'm also talking about Lee Keltner, who was attending a peaceful Patriot rally in Denver when he was shot dead in the face by a cowardly leftist scumbag who had no firearms discipline and wasn't even registered in Denver. Also of note is another hero, Kyle Rittenhouse who showed incredible courage and discipline in Kenosha as a mob of people charged at him, tried to take his firearm, pounded his head with a skateboard, and charged at him with a gun at the ready. Kyle has a long legal battle ahead of him, but I have no doubt he will prevail. His actions were textbook self-defense. The fact that he was 17 with a rifle has no bearing on that. He has an inherent right to his own self-defense, up to and including the use of deadly force by any means possible if he felt his life was in danger. It was, and he acted justly, swiftly, and smartly. We have many heroes in this fight to be grateful, to lean on their courage and bravery, on, on their actions. Many of you listening are those heroes in your actions, who have been vocal and have spoke up to get out there and stand up for your rights and freedoms in the face of these fascist Marxists on the left. And good for all of you. I can't say it enough. Now, though, we must continue to fight. Regardless of which of my previously mentioned scenarios plays out, we must continue to speak freely, to speak out, to take to the streets, and show our support for our president, who is still the president. We have to continue to take to the street to confront these vile cowards who insist on creating chaos and disorder and lawlessness. These actions that have been taking place in Portland and across the cities in America are nothing short of terrorism. They are the actions of criminal toddlers who were never taught respect or accountability. America has been under siege, not only by anarchists coordinating acts of domestic terrorism, but also by the intellectually crippled hacks who call themselves journalists. It is imperative for those of us who still value the premise of our U.S. Constitution to fight hard on both fronts. We need to restore law and order to our streets, while also restoring long-lost integrity to American journalism. What our media reports and how they report it has generational effects that transcend not only states, but also countries. It can be exponentially more problematic when it is misused and miscommunicated. It, while the power can be helpful, it can also be both physically and intellectually perilous. 
Thomas Paine said it best once when he remarked, there are two distinct classes of what are called thoughts. Those that we produce in ourselves by reflection and the act of thinking, and those that bolt into the mind of their own accord. The latter could be considered reflexive thinking, or that which has subconsciously taken root upon being relentlessly indoctrinated. And that's what we've seen. There's no logical way to contest the assertion that the media is weaponizing a constitutional right that was intended to provide the preservation of liberty. Instead, they have removed the neutrality born of a free press by our founders in favor of a press politically motivated and intellectually compromised. Now, the next time the left chooses to base their gun control argument on statements that the Second Amendment was written at the time of muskets, perhaps we should remind them that the First Amendment was written at the time of quill and ink and on parchment paper. How inclined would the press be to return to those mediums and delivery of their news by carrier pigeon? It would be far less dangerous by their own logic. If they cannot have their way, Democrats have shown that they will sacrifice everyone out of jealous spite. Their petulance is disgraceful. And what's more destructive is that they continue to infect young minds with their toxic and displaced selfish rage. That is precisely how we end up with demonstrably ignorant and childish inept clowns like those in the squad. Individuals who have no argument that isn't prefaced by a label or false narrative that continues to be parroted by their intellectually negligent base. We've reached an apex of division in America that has exposed the unquestionably treasonous behavior of the Democratic Party. Those who continue to vote for and support those elected officials are fully complicit in treason against the Constitution and we the people. What the Democrats have continued to underestimate with their spineless insecurities and their envy of Trump's accomplishments and their envy of all of us out there and our patriotism is the absolute unwavering resolve of America's patriots. Their blind rage, their jealousy, their passive ignorance, none of it will defeat the determination, the perseverance of Americans whose values are rooted in traditional goodwill and devotion to our founding principles. With every contemptuous attempt to dislodge our American character and the will of the country's faithful citizens, Democrats are one step closer to bringing their party and their hateful ideologies to extinction. Americans will not allow themselves to be imprisoned by the ignorant and repugnant groupthink of radical liberalism. We've had enough and the gloves are off. We're taking our country back no matter how long that takes. Hey friends, that is all I have for today. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a minute to share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, leave me a review on Parlor if you would be so kind. Feel free to free uh, to follow and engage with me on Parlor. Uh, my handle is at ExposingLibsBS. Friends, it is time for all of us to passionately take action, and we the people have a proud history of doing just that. You've been listening to the Federalist Forum. Thank you for your listenership and for your patriotism as we fight together to preserve the founding principles of our constitutional republic. Until next time, sapientia est potentia. Wisdom is power.